Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are back here today as the calendar nears June, and we're going to do an episode here today that I've been looking forward to really ever since December, uh, because today we are going to take a look at the last six years of Purdue football under Jeff Brom and kind of look back for one final time at the Brom era and go back and look at some of the memories of the last six years, some of the highlights, some of the lowlights, ultimately with the goal of looking at what Jeff Brom's legacy might be uh, for his six years at Purdue now that they've come to an end. I did want to note real quick, this episode is pre-recorded. Uh, I am recording this a few days ahead of time uh, just because that's what I need to do for my schedule. The big elephant in the room right now with Purdue Sports, of course, is Zach Eady as he prepares to make his decision on whether he will stay in the NBA draft or return to Purdue for his senior year. Um, as I record this right now, we don't know. It is entirely possible that by the time you're listening to this, there will be an answer. If that's the case, please know next week I'll be getting to that. Uh, and we'll take a look at Purdue weather, uh, an early look at the Purdue basketball roster, uh, what's a early thoughts on the season with or without Zach Eady. So that'll be up next. But today, uh, let's take a look back uh, and talk a little bit of football because, you know, we're under 100 days now until the season begins. You know, when looking at a coach's legacy, it's always a little bit complicated, especially this early on. Because Jeff Brom, you know, left for Louisville six months ago, six and a half months ago now. And, you know, only one game has been played, a game that, quite frankly, meant very little in the realm of things. Uh, it's hard to take much from that bowl game. But, you know, when you look at a coach and you want to talk legacy, it doesn't get cemented for a while because so much of that depends on what happens with the following coaches and in the years following that coach's departure. Um, you know, I, I enjoy I enjoy getting topics for shows just off message boards and off Twitter based off what fans are talking about. And the conversation around Jeff Brom really interests me because, you know, you have a, a lot of folks who are very optimistic about the Ryan Walters era I see a lot of optimism that it's going to be better than the Jeff Brom era, and that's entirely possible. Uh, it, it's not something I would rule out. It's not something that I would say is a lock by any means, but it's possible. Uh, anything is possible. So, you know, when you look at this, though, um, like, for example, Joe Tiller's legacy was very strong when he left Purdue after 2008. But I think you can say pretty clearly that it only got stronger in the ensuing eight years when the next two coaching hires didn't work out. And it made Joe Tiller's accomplishments at Purdue look a little bit more impressive. So that's kind of how it, you know, how you have to approach this. Because what happens under Ryan Walters, what happens in, you know, in the next 10 years of Purdue football that's going to go a long way in how Jeff Brom is remembered. But, 
you know, it's funny. You look back and just some of the memories here, you know, right away, Jeff Brom inherited a mess at Purdue, to say the least. Uh, a program that had won nine games over the previous four years, had never been better than three and nine. And, you know, really a program that hadn't been fun in quite a while. Under Danny Hope from 2009 to 2012, Purdue had two home wins over Ohio State during that time. That's about it in terms of fun that was had. They won at Michigan in 2009 as well, but that season was a lot more frustrating than it was fun as Purdue went 5-7 and seven with a roster that you know, really could have done a lot more. I think that's a general consensus. And by the end of the Danny Hope tenure, it wasn't fun. The 2011 and 2012 teams weren't fun to watch. So Purdue makes a move, and, you know, obviously we know what happened with Daryl Hazel. So Purdue football hadn't been fun in some time. You know, there hadn't been a ton of juice around Rossade Stadium since, what, 2007? Kind of that Purdue-Ohio State game under the lights when Purdue was 5-0 and and ranked. Uh, there was some excitement for that game. It didn't go well, and things kind of went downhill from there. Jeff Brom right away made Purdue fun. In his first game, you know, Purdue comes in as, what, three touchdown, 21, 24-point underdogs in Lucas Oil Stadium against Louisville, and they took Louisville to the wire. And that was a game that Purdue, you know, on paper had no chance in. A game against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and Lamar Jackson, a Louisville team that was really good the year before. Uh, you know, I think they won nine nine games maybe, ten games maybe. They were really good. And he took him to the wire. Uh, Purdue had the ball with a chance to tie the game late. Got helped out a little bit when Louisville didn't exactly capitalize in the red zone all the time. Had a couple turnovers. But, you know, there was reason to be excited right away. And it was validated and followed up when Purdue puts up 44 the next week at home against Ohio uh, on that Friday night, they blow them out. And that was a game Purdue was less than a touchdown favorite at home against that Ohio team. Purdue stuck it to them pretty good. And then they go to Missouri and in what has got to be one of the most unbelievable games in recent Purdue memory, not because they won, but because they won 35-3 to against, you know, what – we thought at the time was going to be a decent Drew Locke, uh, you know, a future NFL guy that certainly hasn't worked out the way many thought. But, you know, Purdue really got off to a good, exciting start. In that 2017 season, had its ups and downs. Certainly a theme of the Jeff Brom era and uh, Purdue football as a whole. There are ups and downs. You know, in that season, Purdue had a game – two games, you know, Nebraska and Rutgers, where they probably should have won. They lose on the last drive against Nebraska. I think the week before, maybe, was when they went to Rutgers and lost 14-12. to Just a ugly, ugly game to lose there. But, you know, they they had a Wisconsin game. They lose 17-9. to um, 
But at the end of the day, expectations were not high that season. And when Purdue went to Iowa at four and six, man, you didn't think they were going to get to a bowl game. But they went up to Iowa. Anthony Mahungu had himself a day. And Purdue comes out of there with a really impressive win. Then, as you remember, and what I think is maybe one of the more underrated games in recent Purdue history was that 2017 bucket game. When Purdue and Indiana both need a win to be bowl eligible, Purdue gets the win, everyone rushes the field. Uh, just a really cool atmosphere at ross that day. Uh, Purdue gets back to a bowl for the first time since 2012. The stadium was almost sold out. I don't know if it did sell out, but it was very close, especially with students on Thanksgiving break. They get to a bowl game and they win it. Uh, and at that point, it, it just felt unbelievable that Purdue had gone in one year from, you know, if it weren't for Kansas, Purdue would have been the worst program in the Power Five probably, to all of a sudden Purdue you know, is a bowl game winner, is a seven-win team, and there's real juice around the program. At that time, Rondale Moore commits, uh, Purdue's biggest recruit in a while, and there's real enthusiasm. You felt that, too, moving forward. Purdue gets selected for the Thursday night season opener on ESPN. They lose a close game there, and they lose three straight close games to start the next year. Uh, a loss to Eastern Michigan was inexplicable in the rain uh, and really, you know, frustrating. But Purdue bounces back. They beat a ranked Boston College team a couple of weeks later. And then you have really the the shining moment to a certain degree of the Jeff Brom era, and that is the win over Ohio State, a game that, you know, certainly with the Tyler Trent story and all of that going on, felt like a higher power was involved, but, um, you know, Purdue became exciting there. Uh, Rondale Moore became one of the top stories in the country that season, uh, an All-American player, something Purdue hadn't had in a while. Um, again, you know, there were, there were downs, though. Purdue, the next week, loses to Michigan State. They come back and they beat a ranked Iowa team. Then they lay two eggs. Uh, well, they lay an egg at Minnesota. They lose in three overtimes to Wisconsin. That one still has to hurt because Purdue, as you all are well aware, has not beaten Wisconsin in two decades. But you're in the same spot the next year. Purdue 5-6, and six, Indiana 5-6. and six. Purdue gets the job done again. And that launched what became you know, the first real bit of drama, and that was the Jeff Brom to Louisville uh, round one in 2018. After his first year at Purdue, you know, there was the Tennessee rumor with Jeff Brom. I don't know how much that was ever a real possibility. I, I don't. Maybe it was. I, I don't know. But there was certainly a real possibility that Brom was going to leave for Louisville after 2018. And as Purdue's getting ready for a Music City Bowl that, you know, in, in hindsight, Purdue was just not ready for that type of an Auburn team. 
uh, a team with just that level of athleticism, speed, size. Purdue wasn't ready to compete in that game. But Jeff Brom stays at Purdue. And that was the win from, from that time period. That, along with the recruiting class, Purdue signed that February. I will always give Jeff Brom credit for staying at Purdue that first time. It would have been completely justified if he left for Louisville after 2018. Coaches can do what they want. Um, These are professionals in their career just like anyone else. And, you know, after two years at a job, it's not entirely unrealistic for people in the working world to move on. But in this case, you know, it did feel like Jeff Brom had more to accomplish at Purdue. It absolutely felt like that from the Purdue side of things. Uh, and Jeff Brom agreed with that. That that was his reason for staying. He felt it would have been too soon. And that's probably fair. But, you know, Jeff Brom could have left for Louisville at that point and you know, sometimes you have to say it's his alma mater. Maybe it's his dream job. It only comes open every once in a while. Uh, maybe he would have had to pounce then, but he didn't. He stayed, and at that time, it felt even bigger because Purdue had a really nice recruiting class signed. Well, committed at that time. That was before the February signing period got moved to December. So you had David Bell, George Karloftis, Milton Wright, Marvin Grant, uh, a really strong class there that was committed to Purdue, and there was real juice, and things were really trending upward before the next two years really, you know, soured things a little bit. Um, Jeff Brom stayed at Purdue, and at that time, he was a 500 coach. Everyone who understood Purdue football understood that that was a real accomplishment based off what he inherited. But, you know, at the end of the day, the record was just 500. And for those who, you know, maybe weren't as in tune with Purdue, Purdue giving over $5 million a year to a 500 coach, it was a heck of a commitment. And that'll be a theme we talk about later is that Purdue really committed to football. 2019 was a rough year. Uh, Purdue was young. Purdue was really young to start with that year, but injuries just killed Purdue. Lorenzo Neal never gets on the field after tearing his ACL in the bucket game a year earlier. Uh, Purdue drops the opener at Nevada, just collapses in the fourth quarter, and that set the tone for the season. Uh, Elijah Sindelar gets hurt in week two, comes back in week four, and then he and Rondale Moore both end their seasons on the same play. Uh, Sindelar gets knocked out for the season. Moore doesn't come back after his injury there and with the hamstring. And at that point, Marcus Bailey was already done for the year. You know, it just felt like at that point the, the season was already spiraling, and it was still September, and it kind of was. Um As the season went on, you know, Purdue's playing without its two best players on offense, its two best players on defense. Jack Plummer gets some action, then he gets hurt. It it was a season full of injuries. It it happens in football to a degree. Purdue's playing a lot of young guys on defense, but the, the, the silver lining of that season 
is that this little-known walk-on named Aiden O'Connell comes in in November, leads a pair of game-winning drives, and really looks like a nice piece to have for the future. It's funny looking back at that season, though, because if you want to play the optimistic card, man, if Purdue holds on at Nevada and Purdue can squeeze out that bucket game against Indiana where I think that was a double overtime game, uh, Purdue had some chances to win it, you know, that's a 6-6 six and six team if you play that card. Now, you can go the other way, and if they don't have those game-winning drives against Nebraska and Northwestern, it looks a lot different. It looks a lot worse. Things tend to even out over the course of a season, but, you know, Purdue had a rough year, and then 2020 was a mess. It wasn't a normal season across college football. I'll always maintain that that season's hard to hold against anybody, and it's probably hard to give anyone too much credit for that season, but it wasn't good. Purdue loses its last four games. It finishes two and four. The Bob Diaco experiment was a disaster. Purdue had no clarity at quarterback. O'Connell plays three games. Plummer plays three games. It, it just didn't give you any clarity. So, you know, you move into 2021 expectations weren't all that high anymore. Uh, The win total coming in was set at five. Purdue wasn't projected to be a bowl team. It was picked towards the bottom of the Big Ten West. But, you know, as the season gets going, Purdue starts 2-0. And then the offense sputters a bit, but Jeff Brom makes the move in game four and goes with O'Connell. And that move... In hindsight, you know, plays a huge role in his legacy at Purdue. If he doesn't and the offense continues to sputter a little bit, it was a good defense that year, but that defense wasn't winning you games. Purdue won games the latter half of the year because of its offense. And O'Connell comes in and gives you some real juice. He has an awesome year. He's fantastic down the stretch. He leads you to two wins over top five opponents. Again, you take those wins for what they are. Uh, You don't see Purdue fans holding the Iowa and Michigan State wins in the same way they hold the Ohio State win. They weren't the same level of top five team, but you sure as hell don't apologize for that either. Those were games that Purdue won, uh, and those were games that, you know, really continued to bring that juice of the exciting wins. Purdue finishes that year eight and four. First time they'd won eight games since 07. They go to the Music City Bowl. They win a classic over Tennessee, uh, a game that, I'll be frank, I didn't expect Purdue to really compete in all that much without David Bell, without George Karloftis, without Diedrich Mackey or Milton Wright. Uh, wasn't a game I felt good about Purdue in. Then Branson Dean wasn't able to play. They find a way. Uh, and Purdue gets its ninth win for the first time since 03. Tied for the second most wins in a season in Purdue history. And that juice was there coming into last year. You know, you felt it with Purdue fans. Uh, that season opener against Penn State was coming. That drew a ton of interest. That drew a ton of hype. 
And, you know, for all that last year was, it was a heck of a roller coaster. It really was. Purdue starts one and two. They lose two games in the last minute against Penn State and Syracuse. The season wasn't looking good after September. You know, they squeak out a game against Florida Atlantic without O'Connell. They're sitting at two and two. How healthy is O'Connell? How good is the team? You know, there were questions. And then they get hot. Uh, They win three in a row. Then they lay eggs against Wisconsin and Iowa, and frustration is back. But ultimately, you know, Purdue finds a way. They dig deep. They win their last three. And for the first time ever, Purdue won the Big Ten West. Uh, It was not the most glamorous way to win it. You know, eight and four getting there because Iowa loses to Nebraska on Black Friday. Um, it, it wasn't some storybook way of getting there, but you don't apologize for it. Uh, Purdue earned their way to the Big Ten championship game for the first time ever, and they competed with Michigan. Uh, it was what ha- Michigan did to everybody. Purdue was able to get down the field a little bit, but when the field condensed, they went nowhere. A lot of field goals. But Purdue didn't look like, you know, Purdue didn't look like an alien on that field. They didn't look like they didn't belong. And that's what felt really good if you were a Purdue fan. And that was it. Uh, Purdue plays the Big Ten championship game on a Saturday. On Sunday, they find out they're going to the Citrus Bowl. The press conference with Babinski and Brom to talk about the bowl game is scheduled for Monday. And an hour before that, Scott Satterfield to Cincinnati is legit. It's happening. And the Louisville job is suddenly open. 48 hours later, Purdue is searching for its next coach. It all happened quick. Uh, That's the way these things tend to happen. But, you know, I do like looking back at those seasons because for the most part, they were fun. And Purdue needed it badly at that time. Purdue needed it really badly. Um, you saw some proof of concept at a program that desperately needed it. And I think that's where you have to look at a real positive for the legacy of Jeff Brom. You know, for the most part, you look at Purdue football, boy, I mean, you could say ever since the Mollenkopf years, but uh, you can even just say from, from Jim Young, you know, 1980, he goes eight and three, excuse me, nine and three, and he leaves after 81. From 82 on, you know, Purdue had a decade and a half of terrible football in there. Uh, only one winning season in that time frame between Jim Young and Joe Tiller. After Joe Tiller, you have mediocrity at best under Danny Hope, and you have downright bad under Daryl Hazel. Purdue needed some proof of concept, and they got it. Uh, It hadn't been interesting in over a decade. It was interesting again. Purdue hadn't been necessarily relevant in the Big Ten. It was relevant in the Big Ten again. Uh, In nine years prior to Brahms' arrival, it only went to two bowl games. Then Purdue goes to four in six years. Some of those big wins played a huge role, too. You know, Purdue's long had the the mantra, spoiler makers in football. And some view it as a good thing. Some view it as, 
more of a backhanded compliment. I tend to be in the middle a little bit. But, you know, those big wins were really big for Purdue. Those put Purdue on the map to a certain degree. Not that Purdue is off the grid. I mean, it's a Power 5 program. But it helped solidify Purdue as something legitimate. There were negatives, no doubt. It was a very closed-door approach, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, but I think the the level of security that was around the program, uh, a program that didn't let any information get out in many different facets, I think that wore thin on folks. You know, Jeff Brom's press conferences weren't exactly charismatic. He was a pretty pretty plain guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, Purdue. And its other main sport has a coach who's an open book uh, and certainly has had success being that way. So, you know, having Jeff Brom be very vanilla, very coach speak, very plain, I don't think that was always, you know, something that fans embraced. He was closed off with the media, not a lot of enthusiasm necessarily publicly. Uh, competitive is all hell. That's for sure. Jeff Brom was competitive as can be. You saw that in the way he coached, but you know, publicly, he was not a real outspoken, energetic guy. Uh, the family business approach certainly wore thin on some people. Having Brian as the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach is one thing. It you know, then you have Greg as the GM, you have Oscar around, you have Brady around. It was a very Brom family business approach. Again, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it worked. It, it brought success to Purdue, but I don't know that it was necessarily something that everyone loved. Um, towards the end, you know, recruiting took a downturn in terms of, you know, recruiting class ratings. I think that's very hand in hand with the constant question of how long he would be at Purdue. Uh, you know, looking back, after 2021, Louisville was ready to hire him. Uh, they were ready to move on from Satterfield. It didn't happen. That process got delayed for, you know, reasons that appear to have been a little bit higher up at Louisville. And he sticks around, uh, but you know that um, to a certain degree that was being used against Purdue in recruiting. So that, you know, that certainly didn't necessarily help towards the end. You know, at the end of the day, though, um, there's only so much you can do that that was part of it. Now you look at Purdue moving forward. Now you look at what the future holds for Purdue. And, you know, I'm not sure how Jeff Brom's legacy will go from here. You know, it really depends. I think overwhelmingly it should be positive at this point. Uh, he helped bring Purdue football back to a good place. Now, what happens next? Does Purdue build from there? Does Purdue continue to succeed? If that's the case, then I think you look at a legacy that is largely of someone who really got the ball rolling uh, and got Purdue to a good place. I think it certainly helps. You know, part of the big deal 
was that Purdue became competitive from a facility standpoint and from a investment level standpoint. You know, they were paying coaches more. They weren't having the same struggles with paying assistants that it once did. You know, that that was a problem for a long time. Purdue re- rebuilt Rossade Stadium to a certain degree. Uh, you have the renovations going on now. Do those happen if there's not exactly much juice around the program? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, if Ryan Walters goes on to success, then I, I think you give Jeff Brom a lot of credit for that. And I think you do regardless. But... You know, it's like the seed was planted with Jeff Brom. If things don't go well, you know, if Purdue doesn't maintain where it's at right now as a real competitor in the Big Ten West, kind of in that second tier of Big Ten programs behind Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, then it looks like more of a flash in the pan. And you probably maybe remember it a little more fondly because there was success there. But I think the frustration would also grow because Jeff Brom didn't stay at Purdue. Um, It's a fun topic to talk about coaching changes and coaching departures, coaching hires. All of that just fascinates me uh, because it's it's such an integral part of the sport. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, when we're talking to our kids and grandkids about Purdue football, how how will we remember the Jeff Brom legacy. I'd be curious to get your thoughts. Tweet me at Boilers Beyond. Let me know what you think uh, because it's a fun one. You know, there's plenty of debate about it. There's plenty of talk about it. Um, and there's no right answer yet. There really isn't. Time will tell on how that legacy gets cemented. But that's all I've got for today. As I said, we'll be back next week to talk about Purdue basketball's outlook with or without Zach Eady. Be sure to follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. I'll be tweeting any updates on Zach Eady there, as well as any news around Purdue sports. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a thing. Until next week, guys, take care and stay safe out there.